0: everybody, welcome to Church in the Valley. We're really glad that you guys are here to worship with us this morning. My name is Alex Barrett and I'm the campus pastor here and we are wrapping up our series over the next two weeks called Box Office Wisdom. And over the next two weeks we're going to be talking about films which we've been doing over the previous several weeks. And every summer we do this series and it's kind of our opportunity as a church to look at what are kind of Hollywood releasing in the summer movies and what are the the messages that the media and the movies are are sending to us. And uh, we're not promoting the movies. We're not actually spending a ton of time talking specific about the movies, but we're pulling out the themes uh, found in them. And if you're like me, uh, when you go to the movies, uh, it's an enjoyable experience. When you listen to music, when you watch TV, all the different aspects in which media and the art gets into our life, it, it has an impact on us. It can bring us highs, it can bring us lows, but all the time that's happening is that we are actually getting sent messages, getting sent ideas about how life works. And so our goal in this series is to talk about what are the messages that we receive as we engage in media and how do we ask the right questions to know are those messages Right? Are they true? What happens if, if we buy uh, into them? And so we kicked off the series talking about filter needed and how to apply the right filters to different media and art as, as we engage in it. And so if you missed that, you can always catch up any messages online at churchinthevai.com. And you can also... Uh, podcast. We started podcasting uh, last month, and so if you subscribe to Church in the Valley Alhambra, you'll be able to get that uh, podcast uh, for you every week. It will update so you can, can catch up. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time kind of talking about where we've been. I encourage you to, to listen on your own if, if you choose to do that. But today, uh, we're talking about the movie uh, Despicable Me 3. Uh, like Ben mentioned. And every week what we do is we show you the trailer that even if you haven't seen it, you can get a little bit of a taste of what the movie's about. So let's go ahead and roll uh, that right now. Picture you get the picture there. Uh, this is the third installment of the Despicable Me movies. There's also been a Minion movie. This is a, a big deal uh, for kids and families. And when you have kids, you end up at movies like this, whether you want to be there or not. Okay, it's just a part to look forward to if, you, if you're going to have kids. Uh, but this movie actually has a, a main theme that runs throughout it that actually couldn't be more relevant to adults, despite the fact that it's an animated film. It actually deals with a topic that I think. All of us deal with it deals with an issue that I think if we can grow and get past and learn from uh, it can actually help us in our life and that's this idea of envy and comparison and the movies kind of set up with this this idea of, of Gru meeting his twin brother that he didn't know existed for the first time and there's this theme of how do they move beyond this rivalry and this comparison to working together and how, how does that happen? And so it deals with this, this initial that you saw in the trailer there. Uh, how, how do you get past this, this feeling of being superior or to inferior and all the different emotions that, that happen when you compare yourself uh, to someone else? In the marketing for the movie, uh, there was kind of a, a picture that described a little bit of what the theme was going to be about. And you'll see it up here. And it says, Oh, brother... And you can see the, the look on Gru's face, and you, you can see that this is going to be something that he's going to battle with, stacking up to his brother, uh, Drew. And there was some stuff that I was researching late in the movie, and the director kind of talked about how they wanted to visually show some of this rivalry just in the way that they uh, you know, created, created the film. This is what the director said. He says, he was the polar opposite of Gru, talking about uh Drew. I uh, said, Kyle Baldo, that's the co-director, says, whereas Grew hunches over like a curmudgeon, Drew stand, stands upright. He's more open to the world. Everything about Grew's posturing is protection and defense. He's more like a dark cloud, and Drew's a sunshiny guy. And so throughout the film, they're, they're kind of showing this comparison between these two twin brothers and how that kind of comparison is going to kind of play out. As the, as the movie goes on. So if it's not enough for you to struggle with this, even the illustrators are going to make you look like a dark curmudgeon that has nothing going for you. And so you see this just visually and you see another pic here where Gru meets Drew and it's this idea of like, wow, I have a twin brother. And look at that flowy hair that he has. And, you, you know, you just see this, these subtle things that set up the theme of this envy and comparison which actually can, can impact us all. As I was doing other research for this movie, there's a part of this theme which is connected to a mad comic. Anyone ever read mad comics like back in the day? There's a spy versus spy comic strip that's famous with, with mad comics, and it looks like this. And so they actually base part of this new development of the Despicable Me franchise with this idea of, of rivals competing against each other, spy versus spy. This envy, comparison, and competing. This is something that, that's actually normal uh, to all of us. And so, what we're going to be talking about today is, is how do you identify comparison and envy in your own life? And then, what do you do with it once you realize uh, that it's there? And I just want to take you on a little bit of a journey, just in kind of full disclosure of my own life, because as I was doing. Kind of prep for this message, and as I was reading the scriptures, and as I was thinking through this topic, there's a part of me that just caused me to pause. And the question I kept asking myself is, how have I dealt with envy and comparison in my life? And and I encourage you to ask ask that question of yourselves this morning. How have you dealt with envy and comparison in your own life? And if you can think back to when you were a child, and if you can think back to when you're in high school and when you were a teen. If you think back, if you're older, into your early 20s, or if you're in your early 20s now, how does that impact you? If you could think forward to where you are right now and look around you, how does envy and comparison kind of dealing with you? And so as I thought back as a child, I'm from a a broken family. My parents were divorced. And by the grace of God, my my parents remarried and my, my mom remarried a godly man. And my stepdad really raised me in a way that helped me discover God's grace in in my own life. But there were times in my life, as I looked at my broken family, that envy crept in. And one of the things I always ask myself is, their family looks perfect. My family looks broken. And even at a young age, I remember just kind of comparing other people's family to my own. There's a sense in which their family seems like they have it all together. My family just seems like sometimes it's just broken and we're messed up. And that was a big part of just envy creeping in, comparison creeping into my own heart at a young age. Uh, my dad was in the military, and he had a great career in the military. But part of the military, the slogan of our home is Air Force, or home is where the Air Force sends you. And that was like our motto growing up. Like your home is where you're sent. And growing up, we moved a lot. And it always seemed like I entered into relationships with groups of people that had existed forever. And there's a statement like, we've known each other since we were born. And I always thought to myself, like, I've just known you since I met you two weeks ago because we just moved again. And there's a sense which I always kind of felt like I was the outsider coming into existing relationships, never feeling like I had the history that everyone else had. This is like at a young age. I just kind of remember feeling just that comparison. Like, man, these relationships have existed, and I just feel like I'm just the outsider, and I, and I dealt with that at a young age. As a teen, I was envious of people that seemed to excel at the things that they put their minds to. I was like an average guy. You know what? I I, I kind of referred to myself as like the Rudy of life. You ever seen Rudy? This guy that you know he's kind of an average football player that made it onto the Notre Dame football team. And he got to play like right at the end of his last game. He got to play. And it's just a great story. But Rudy was average in every way. And I, like I kind of compared myself to that. Like I had heart. I tried real hard at many things. But I was kind of average at most. You know, I, I was average at a lot of things. And so I'd look at people in high school who was like they looked at their textbook. And just by looking at it, they could nail their exams. And me, I'd study and I'd get questions. I'd be like, what? Is that even in the same subject? What is that? And I had to really, it seemed like I just had to work really hard, whereas other people, they just didn't seem to work at all and they could ace their tests. Or in athletics, people just had this natural ability. And so in high school, it was just this comparison of like, wow, they have it all together and they excel in this area. I wonder what it'd be like to excel like they excel. And I'd I'd look around. And then as I got kind of older in high school, one of the things that plagued me, which may have plagued you as well, and that's that idea of man, how do I become a cool person? You ever wanted that for your life, to be cool? It's actually really important to us, being cool, being someone that's popular, being someone that's important. And so as I got later in high school, that was a really high motivation. How do I be be cool like those people? And those people ended up kind of gauging some of the direction I wanted to take. And what I found is later in high school, I became cool, but I lost a lot of the identity of who I was, and I changed just to fit in, just to be like everybody else. I realized that I kind of lost a lot of joy in those relationships that I had previously. And I, I lost kind of a lot of progress that I had made in my life. Uh, in my 20s, my story goes on. I remember having a job right out of college and I was really happy with this job. And then I got laid off my second year of that job and it was my second year of marriage. And I remember thinking and comparing myself to the other people that had graduated college and seemed to have these great jobs and excelling and their path and their career path was just laid out before them. And, and I just got laid off and trying to figure out how am I going to make ends meet? People that seemed to have it all together, their future was flowing for them. And I just remember this, this envy and comparison. And you think you get to a point in your life where you, you stop it and you know. As soon as I get a family and I I kind of get secure and stable, like I won't have to compare myself to anyone. I would arrive at kind of the goals that I had, and that's what I thought. Then you have kids. And you want to talk about like comparison and envy? Like you don't talk about it much, but you're always trying to figure out where does my kid stack up versus the other kid. And you want to know how you know that? Percentages at the doctor's office. Right. And because, well, my, my, uh, my son's head size is in the 95th percentile. And you think like, really? Like that's yeah. Height is 50, but we're feeding him a little bit more milk. We're going to try to up that a little bit and from a young age. Like I got to the dock and that was like the first thing. I went, what's the percentiles? What's the length, the weight, the head size, how tall are they going to be? My daughter, she's 10 right now. The doctor projected when, like, one of her early checkups that she's going to be 5'11. And there was a part of me that was like, oh, wait, is that going to be good for her? Like, for me, that sounds like that'd be, oh, she's going to be a giant. But she's my daughter. I can't call her a giant. Like, you know, <laughs> all this stuff goes on, and it's just, like, percentiles, and it just goes on and on. And I can imagine I'm not there yet, but you get to a point in life where, you know, you you excel in your career, and you're, you're wondering, when are you going to be able to retire? And then you see your friends retire, and you're just waiting. Is that going to ever happen to me? Am I ever going to get to that point where I'm going to have that peace and stability? And so even in my own life, I've looked. There's just been a moment in time where it's, just, it's always existed, this envy and comparison, envy and comparison. It's weaved in. It's weaved into just one of the battles that I've had to fight my whole entire life. And so before I talk about kind of the, the, the answer... To the problem of this, I, I just want you to kind of take some time in your own life, just to ask some questions internally and introspectively, just to determine where where is envy and comparison impacted you. And your story may be similar to mine; it may be completely different. But we all have these notches and situations in our life that have caused us to really battle this comparison and looking at the lives of others, comparing them to the life that we live. And so I just want to ask you some questions, but understanding this, that the more we compare and envy others, the less satisfied that we are. That's the real problem. The more that we compare and envy those around us, the less satisfied we are. Their senses, as we're always looking at those around us, we're always going to be battling to feel complete in who we are. Because we're just, we're just looking at other people, their life, their story, and we're stacking it up against us. And so I was thinking through the arenas of life that, that, that you may battle and I may battle. And it can happen at, at the workplace. Are there people at your workplace who have status and who have success and you want it? Are there people that you think, I wish that I could have their position and, and you want the success that they have? Another question, has there been anyone around you, like in the workforce, that's gotten a promotion that you think you should have gotten? Has that ever happened to you? A lot of times what's underneath the surface. is There's just this comparison and envy. They got something that I wanted for myself. Are there a circle of friendships at the workplace that there's a group that hang out and seem like they, they're always together and they're moving through work together and you just kind of see yourself on the outside looking in? There's envy and comparison that even as adults, we deal with like not feeling like we're part of the in crowd. We don't talk about it, but it's a battle that we have. Like, why am I not included? Uh, In family and friendship relationships, is there anyone in your life that seemed to have it all together? And there's just a little part of you that, that you resent them. You don't talk about it with anyone, but there's these little subtle thoughts that everything seems to work out for them it seems to come easy to them and it just, it kind of, it kind of bothers you. Uh, Do you have negative thoughts about the people in your life? People that you love and you care for, but you battle thinking negatively about them. Those are signs and all these are signs that there's some envy and there's comparison going on. And in identifying this, I don't want you to feel bad, but I do want you to feel that the problem is real. And this problem impacts and affects all of us. There's a definition of, of envy from Webster's that I want to kind of launch from and then give you a, another definition. If you could put that, that definition up on the screen. According to Webster, envy is a painful or resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by another joined with a desire to possess the same advantage in my words is somebody gets something that's good for them and you want what's good for them to be good for you but because you don't have it you resent that they got it it's just it's this thing that just can be just burning within us it twists us up inside they have good that i wanted but since it's for them and it's not for me there's this resentment that can exist i want to add to that definition of envy Really from from a a biblical perspective and kind of identify what, what really is going on. And this is envy kind of from a relationship from God perspective. And it's resenting God's goodness to others while ignoring God's goodness in our own life. So it seems like God is good to other people. And while we're looking at God's goodness to others, we fail to see His goodness to us. And this causes resentment in our relationship with God. And it actually causes resentment in our relationship with all those around us. Because would we want to relate to a God who is good to others and not to us? Would we want to relate to a God who we think has it out for us? That's against us. At the core, that's what envy is. And if we don't deal with that and recognize the problem, we spend so many times and so much years of our life spinning in this resentment that we have. So the problem, according to the scriptures, is is actually a deep problem that that envy brings. And I want to kind of kick off with this proverb, which I think highlights the problem. So here's the problem. Envy, it breeds trouble and it makes us miserable ultimately. We, we tend to think envy is just a thought that we have, and we may be kind of neutral, like it's just a thought, I had it. But actually, envy is, is, is more than a thought that you have. Envy is actually like drinking poison. Oftentimes, we don't think of our thoughts as being poison-like, but we can have thoughts that we can believe and we can buy and we can build our life on that we think is true. But it's not a thought. It's actually drinking a poison that can just destroy us from the inside out. This is what the proverb says. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. A tranquil heart. And so you, you have this picture. You have this rotting envy and this tranquil heart. Completely different pictures. A tranquil heart is a heart that... Somebody has decided to follow God with their whole life and they're going to get their value and they're going to get their identity and they're going to get their worth from God himself. And the tranquil meaning there is this calm gentleness. It's a full of peace that you have about life. I think we all want that. We want to experience a calmness, a gentleness, a peace like life is good. That idea, you just take a step back and just life is good. And that tranquility comes not from a vacation that you take, but it actually comes from a relationship with God himself. You experience this. There's a calmness. You are secure in him, and it begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Security comes into your life as you begin a relationship with Jesus. Because by ourselves, we don't have the answers to the problems we face. By ourselves, we can't battle comparison. By ourselves, we can't prove our worth. And we try to prove our worth and we don't stack up. But in a relationship with Jesus, we find a security that we cannot have without him. This is where a tranquil heart, a peaceful life, a good life comes from. And the sentiment is I I am where I am. And I am who I am. And with God's grace, I'm going to move forward to where he wants me to be. I'm, I'm not perfect. I mess up. I have things that I've regretted and I have things even right now that I'm struggling with in my life. But by the grace of God, me turning to him in my shortcomings, he's going to lead me forward. There's a there's a peace that comes in a relationship with Jesus. I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the paths of my life's future, but I do have the one who will lead me there. So there's a calmness that comes. The opposite of that is is. Is envy it's, it's the picture of the poison. Envy makes the bones rot. The, the the word rot there is talking about decay. It's talking about an infection. It is really this picture of poison. Like you hate you take it and you have the thought and it seems harmless, but what's happening is it's actually destroying your body from the inside out. what happens in life is that we get these thoughts of comparison, looking at others around us, and we compare, and it's just a subtle comparison. Or we resent somebody that's got an advantage, and it's a subtle resentment, and we just think, "No, no big deal. But have you ever thought of something about someone else that was negative and then realized that it impacted your relationship to them? Have you ever had a problem with somebody, and when you see them, there's kind of an awkward staging that you have? Because in your heart and in your mind, you actually are really struggling with them. Have you had that? They don't even know it. But that struggle is representative of this poison in your system. You can't look at them because there's this resentment. Sometimes you can't be near them because there's this envy that you, that you have. So envy and comparison, it's, it's a poison that, that, that rots us. The decay spreads. Some more questions to think through just to kind of recognize the poison in your own system. You ever thought this? Why did they get that? Why didn't I? You ever thought that? Why did they get that and I didn't? Or another one. How come I didn't get recognized for what I did, but they got recognized for what they did? We learned that at a at a young age, and as parents you you really are trying to deal with how do you help your kids realize that just because they got that doesn't mean you always get that the idea of fairness, what's fair? but just we we, we always want what any, anyone else has. if we don't have it it's it's not fair. And, and we battled that as adults. Another one, how, how come I wasn't invited? Have you ever felt left out? I felt left out. There's a, there's a sense in which when you feel left out of something, it kind of cuts you in a, in a real way. It cuts you like at, at your core. And sometimes we're not invited to everything. And sometimes we should be invited to things that we're not. But what you do and your reaction is going to determine what happens to you after that. Sometimes you just have to let it go or the poison will, it it begins, begins to to fester. So I want to kind of talk about now and the rest of the time we have, what do you do? Okay, if, if, if envy and comparison is this poison, the questions I've been asking have been to try to help you to, to recognize, do you have poison in you? I know I, I have some poison that I have to deal with, but do you have some of it in you? And if there is envy and comparison, the first thing is you have to recognize that, it, that it's there. Okay? The second is, what do you do once you recognize that it's there? The good news is, is, if you follow Jesus Christ, not only does he make us aware of the problems we face, but in a relationship with Jesus, he always points you to following him to the solution to the problems that you face. There's not always easy fixes. We have to change the way that we think. We have to change the way we relate. But by the grace of God, over time, that can happen. But we don't just follow a God that shows us our problems. We follow a God that gives us himself so that we can learn how to deal with these thoughts, these behaviors, and our heart, which is full of things that, that, that's very harmful. So I want to talk through kind of the rest of the time. How do we actually deal with this? in in a helpful way. And there's three steps and I'm going to walk through each step. Once you recognize the problem of comparing and envy, here's what you need to do. First is you need to stop comparing. The second, you need to start celebrating. And the third, you need to begin embracing. Okay. So you need to stop comparing. You need to start celebrating and you need to begin embracing. Now, those just roll off the tongue so easily. And it sounds like a great bumper sticker that you just want to stick on your car. But this is a battle. To do this is a battle. And it doesn't come naturally, it doesn't come easy. And that's why we need the Lord Jesus' help. So I want to just give a verse that kind of gives some parameters to this, which has been helpful in in my own life. Uh, Romans 12 This is written to a group of Christians who are trying to figure out how to be Christians together in community and and how to relate. And Paul, who helped this church get started and helped many churches get started in the first century, gives them this helpful instruction. This is what he says. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never Be wise in your own sight. So I kind of want to start with the second half of that verse because it relates to this idea of stop comparing. And the instruction that that Paul gave us or gave the church then is is relevant for us today. And and this idea of do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. I don't know. I, I have not really used the word haughty ever OK, so I want to describe it because sometimes you come across biblical words that are packed with meaning. But if we just kind of gloss over them, we, we miss it. So the word haughty in the original language in the Greek that it was written, it it's actually having this this lofty view of things. And the, the, the picture is you're 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 kind of in a building and the ground floor is here. And this is where everyone is. And instead of being ground floor, you're like, but I want I want the top window office. I want I want the best view. You guys can have this view, but I want the best view. And so the idea is as if people are going on the ground floor, you're pressing like the eighteenth floor and you're just going up, just waving at people. Enjoy the oxygen down there. I'm going up. You want the penthouse, the best, the best view of things. And it's this idea that I I'm in a different place. My world is a different world than yours. And we can tend to relate to people like that, like we put ourselves above. It's like if your office is above somebody else's in a high rise and in life, there's, a, there's this haughtiness that we have, like we're, we're above, we're, we're a world apart. And the way that that comes out is when envy and comparison come, it doesn't make sense to us why somebody else is receiving something that we want for ourselves it comes out, and actually, at the core, if we peel back the layers, there's a part of us, if you have a relationship with God or if you don't, that we question, like, does, does, God, does God know what's, what's going on here? Did he see this? Like, why, why are they getting that? But yet, I'm, I'm, I'm not being taken care of. And it's as if like, God has this, this human resource department, and he's determining who gets the blessing and who doesn't. And in our our haughtiness, in, in us wanting to go, we're, we're kind of knocking on God's God's human resource door and say, "God, I got this." You go ahead, you you go ahead and have a seat right here. I I got this. I will manage your human resource department. And so we tend to think, we tend to look like they should get a promotion. You shouldn't. You could be blessed. You shouldn't. And that's what it is to be wise in our own sight. It's like we have an understanding of what we think should happen in the lives of others. We have a picture of what we think should happen in the lives of ourselves. And we battle because it's not measuring up. And so we go to God and in this resentment, even to him, sometimes I, God, are you awake? Are you seeing this? This doesn't measure up to my own understanding. So we're just telling God, God. Let, let me be in charge of human resources. Now, if you could imagine my view of God, he's, he's a he's big God. And I never want to get to the point where I'm going to the CEO of the entire world, the kingdom, everything that ever has existed, and saying like, hey, let me manage. I can't bear the weight that God bears. None of us can. But when we get into envy and comparison, that, that's actually what we're doing. Something's not right. We have a problem and we want to fix it. We're trying to be wise in our own, own eyes. We're trying to see what only we can see. And God says, like, I'm, this, I'm the CEO. I'm in charge here. My thoughts are not yours. My ways are not yours. You have to choose to trust me, even if it's not going your own way. And so you have to stop comparing. You have to, to battle. You have to associate with the lowly. It's this idea of, like, I'm not going to get into how I should get what other people get. I'm not going to view myself as better than, than anyone. I'm going to associate with the lowly. I'm going to choose humility. I'm going to battle for that choice. And so a, a question that I want you to kind of work through in this comparing even, even further is, is, where am I struggling with envy and comparison? Okay? This is going to be something that you could do just this next week. I don't want you to spend a ton of time now, but the way to kind of stop comparing is, again, to recognize how it's in your system. Uh, you need to be specific. So if, if you're, you're taking notes, you can jot these down. Here are just some rapid-fire thoughts I'm going to give you, or you can just think about it. But here's some questions. Who, who are you jealous of and why? What triggers comparison in your life? What is it that you see? That kind of makes that envy and comparison alarm go off. Like we are like, oh, I, I want what they have. Like, what is it? Uh, what thoughts come to your head? When you find yourself getting into envy and comparison, what, what's the thoughts that come? Another question, what, what are you mad about? Uh, where do you feel ripped off? Where does it feel like you have gotten the short end of the stick in your life? And then what do you think God should do differently? Because again, if God's letting this happen... And we're battling this envy and comparison. There's a part of which we think God, God's not seeing it all. Here's the great thing about God. You can actually tell him what you think. You can be honest with him. Many people see him as this cosmic distant reality you dare not to speak of or think of. But God, he, he can handle your thoughts. He can listen to everything that you have to tell him. So there's just a part in which, if you want a relationship with God to be real, talk to him about what's going on in you. you, What you're struggling with, what you battle with. You see this in the Psalms. Psalms in the middle of the Bible, those scriptures are written of people that are taking their tough things that they're facing, and they're, they're asking God about it. And we can do the same thing in this area of envy and comparison. So talk to God. I'm really struggling with this person being blessed, and I feel like I'm not. God, will you help me? Help me to be, to be happy for them. Help me to, to wait for the blessing that you, you want to give me. And you, you know, you talk to Him. To stop comparing is—it's not passive. You can't just tell yourself, "Stop it," right? If we could just tell ourselves, "Stop it," over the things we shouldn't do, wouldn't our problems be solved? Stop it, Otto. Okay, I, I'm good. Never do that again. No, but every day you wake up, you have to battle these things, and so you, you, you have to battle, and it's going to be a battle the rest. The rest of your life. So, you have to identify where the poison's coming in. You have to ask the really hard questions. And once you do that, you can stop because you're seeing how it's entering in. These are the thoughts I have, these are the things that I'm seeing. This is where the poison's entering my system. So, stop comparing. Once you stop comparing, though, you have to dispel the poison out of you by doing two key things. The first is you have to start celebrating, and this is the first part of the passage that I read. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. When envy comes and comparison comes, it's a fortified wall that goes between us and another person. Again, we just think they're, they're thoughts. but They're not thoughts. You're building walls between you and somebody, somebody else. The goal of harmony is to tear down walls and build bridges between you and somebody else. So if you want good relationships and you say you want good relationships and I want good relationships, we all want good relationships. We want healthy relationships. We want strong relationships. The minute you get into envying comparison, you're just throwing grenades on the, the bridge. And now the harmony and the good relationship that exists between you and the person, it's, it's not there. These thoughts are building walls to tear down the walls. You have to celebrate and the scripture is just really clear here. You, You do that by what people are going through. You match what they're going through. So you rejoice when people are rejoicing. If somebody gets a promotion at work. You battle within your heart that feeling of like, I wish that was me. That's that's a natural reaction. I wish I had that promotion, but you battle that with but God you're in charge. Help me to be happy for them. And to start celebrating, it's, it's, the, rejoicing is a, is a verb, it's an action. So you can't just be like, I am happy for them in my stoic face and in my silence. I am so happy for them. No, to rejoice for somebody means you actually tell them. And you come alongside them and say, I am so glad that you got that promotion. That's a really good thing. I'm, I'm really happy for you. You know, and it helps if you're not crying as you say that (laughs) or just clench your teeth. But like get to the place where you can in honesty tell them that that you're happy. Rejoice with them. And then the other way you build the bridge with somebody, and this is kind of a little bit opposite of obviously the rejoicing. It's the weeping. But you're not getting into envy and comparison where you're seeing what people are going through. So when people are struggling, there's even a part of comparison where we ask, we say that, you know, I'm glad that's not me. That fuels it as well. So to build a bridge to somebody, is not just rejoicing when it's going well, but you come alongside them. When they're weeping, you're weeping. And that can be literal. I've dealt with people in my life who I care about deeply that are facing something so horrendous that in their tears, it brings me to tears. And like we're in it together. And I can't even experience all the pain that they're experiencing. But I'm letting them know like I am here for you. I'm struggling with you. Let's battle together. That's what happens in the church that God puts together, this community. You rejoice and you weep. And when you do that, your heart is drawn to people. When you love people and your heart is drawn to them, you actually don't get into envy and comparison near as much because you're in it together. That's what God wants to do through us. So key question, how can I build bridges and not walls with those around me? The last thing, and I'm going to wrap up, You've got to stop comparing. You've got to start celebrating. And the last thing is you need to begin embracing. And that is you have to get to the point where you're seeing all the goodness that God is flowing into your life. And this is a battle, too, because there's times in your life where you feel like you're lacking something that God should give you. And all you see are the cracks. You can't see the life that he's put together. You can't see the history. All you see is what's lacking. We all deal with that. But to get, begin embracing is to recognize that God is for us. And he's with us. Psalm 145.9 says, The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. So who is he good to? Key question. All. And who is he giving mercy to? all This is the greatest news ever to anyone who has breath and ears and a mind to hear it. Cuz as Christians what we're telling people is that God has made you and he's created you. And he's given you a chance at this life and because of that he is good to you. And because he's made you and he's good to you, he wants to give his mercy to you. He wants to help you in your need. He wants to help you in your insecurity our insecurity is what fuels our comparison and fuels our envy. And in all the cracks that we see, God wants to come alongside and fill those cracks with His grace. The Lord is good to all, and He gives His mercy to all. Psalm 105 says, For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever in His faithfulness to all generations. Again, all generations. That's everybody. And He is good. And his love, it's a, it's, a, it's a loyal love, that steadfast love, it's a loyal love. A creator is loyally love to those that he has created. There's a tie that he has because God has made us in his image. We have value because God made us. We have security because he has made us. And his faithfulness is secure, steadfast, it's trustworthy. It's, it's actually not based on our own merit but it, but it 's based on him and his character, and so you see that that this is the things that when we 're feeling like we 're ripped off, you look at God and all that he 's done for us, and it should be filled with all that we should be thankful for and so I, in my own life, I just started making a list, and this is like a really weak like first attempt, but I just wanted to share how, how do you begin to embrace god 's goodness well Here's some things that, that, that I thought about. Uh, the first is that that he like he has had made me. The fact that I can even do this and think is because he's made me. Sometimes we, we just forget the goodness of God when we wake up. But if you woke up this morning, and most of you have done that if you woke up this morning, you experienced God's goodness. Okay. His mercy. If you woke up this morning, they're, they're, they're brand new. So he made you. Why? Because he loves you. That's the goodness of God. Uh, he gave people around you. He put you in a family who loved you. And even in my, if your family's broken, he's still, in spite the brokenness, brings good out of that. Uh, he gave you a mind to think. That's a blessing from God. You can think. Uh, he gave you a will to put things into existence. If you look around, you see how cities are built. Things are coming from nothing into existence. That's from the hand of God. Because without the will he's given us and the strength, we can't build anything. We don't think about that. This comes from the goodness and love of God. Uh, he always listens. He's always there. He sent his son to die for our sins. So that we may have a relationship with him. He's given us his word so we can learn more about him. We can find our way back to him. When you turn to follow him, he's given you his Holy Spirit himself who lives inside you, who guides you and counsels you. So I encourage you, think through all the things in your life right now that you, you're happy about. That you think, you are know, like that, that, that really is a neat thing. That's a blessing. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's an experience. But you're hard pressed to find how that will exist out of the hand of God. We are not nearly as self-sufficient as we think. But his goodness and his love overflows to us all. So I want to encourage you. Make a list of the things that you're thankful for. And if you're not in a relationship with God and you're not even sure the connection between him and this goodness, just begin with a list and ask yourself, where did that come from? That's a great question. Where did that come from? So I want to encourage you. Stop comparing. But to do that, You need to recognize that you do. You need to start celebrating. So you need to look around the people around you and say, what is going on with people that I can come alongside them, good and bad? And then you need to begin embracing. What has God done in your life that you can thank him for? There are some next steps that you can take related to that on your connection card that Ben had you fill out. And as I wrap up, mark one of those. There's there's three up here that's kind of tied to it, to what I've already said. So mark one of those. If you have a prayer request, we'd love to pray for you uh, this week. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and we're going to sing a song back to God as we receive our offering. Let's pray together. God, we praise you for your goodness to us, and we recognize just how insecure we are at times Where we fail to see all that you've done, that's good for us, but yet we long for the goodness that other people have. So God, help us to just see how fragile we are, how in need of your grace that we are. But God, thank you that when we realize we have a problem through following you, we actually have the solution. You fill in the cracks of our lives and we we thank you for that. It's in your name that we do pray. Amen.